Joshua chapter 8. If you like, we're going to be looking at the scriptures today. And the title of our, our subject today is Failures Not Final. Failures Not Final. Aren't you glad that failure is never final as long as God is on the throne and Christ is your Savior and Lord? Failure's never final. God's path to victory. Have you ever attempted something and failed? Ever, have you ever somehow just mustered up the strength that was necessary and charged the enemy only to be defeated? Well, that's exactly what happened here when Joshua and the people of God went to Ai. We saw that last week, and because of the sin of one man, they attempted something for the Lord, but they failed because there was sin in their camp, and because of the sin of one man, the entire nation of Israel failed. I'm convinced that failure is unavoidable. I don't care who you are or who you think you are. The fact is, you're going to fail. We live in a fallen world, and we are fallen people. And even though we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, and we have the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ at our disposition, the reality is that we are going to fail. You are carnal. You are fleshly. You are selfish. The world we live in is corrupt. And we have a tendency that even though we know that we're victorious, we're going to be defeated from time to time. You cannot and you will not win every battle. And when we fail, it's very personal for us as believers. And the reason it's personal is because in spite of our best effort and in spite of what we know that comes from the Bible and what we possess in Christ, we are going to fail. And that makes it personal. It's so personal that when we fail, that it's very painful. I mean, the fact is that when we fall, it's painful. Talked to Brother Dorian the other day, and we had uh, breakfast, and he was telling me about how he tripped and he fell. It is a fact that probably more than likely you're going to fall on an average about seven times in your lifetime. So if you've not fallen at all, just look out. You're in for seven falls. But the reality is that we all fall because we all fail. And as believers, even though we Battle the enemy from victory. The reality is that we're not always going to win every battle, although we will win the war. But you know, sometimes when we fail, as painful and as personal as it is, sometimes we can fail in private. Sometimes our failures are so secretive and they're so small and minute that there are many times that when we fail, only us and God knows about it. Only you and God. No one else may know. I mean, the fact is that you can fall flat on your face in your, in your, in your battle with the enemy, and he can overcome you in such a, an astronomical way that your spouse may not even know that you've been defeated. Uh, your children may not know it. Your coworkers may not know it. Your life group may not know it. The people around you may not know it because we can keep it secret. We can hide it, and it's, those failures that are private are sometimes seen as, as not as catastrophic, but I'm convinced that sometimes the private failures that we have that no one knows about can be as catastrophic as the public failures that we experience. Although may not be quite as dramatic because others may not see us, there are failures sometimes when we fall and we attempt uh, to live for the Lord and we fail miserably and the enemy overpowers us that those failures are so public that the world knows about them. Our spouse knows about them. Our family knows about them. Our life group may know about them. Our church may know about them. Our co-workers may know about them. And those are catastrophic for sure because most of the time when we fail, our witness is lost. Progress is stopped. And people begin to talk, if not gossip, about our failures. And that's tragic, isn't it? So failure is inevitable for all of us. So just go ahead and take a long look at around the people around the room. 
and look at a bunch of people who have fallen probably as recently as this morning. At least last week. There's been a thought that you know you shouldn't think that you thought, a feeling you shouldn't have felt that you felt, an attitude that you didn't change, a characteristic that you've not implemented, a direction that God has sent you in that you did not take, a whisper from the enemy, a temptation from the liar of liars, and yet in your best effort you were not able to overcome it and you fell flat on your face and you fell. Well, I'm here to tell you that no matter how personal and painful and public and private that sin may be and failure may be, failure is not permanent. I said failure is never permanent. You don't have to stay defeated. And we're going to go to Joshua chapter 8 and we're going to look at a man named Joshua who had experienced an incredible devastating defeat. I mean, he, he was devastated. He was distraught, despondent. Completely, it was unbelievable. And yet God visits him in this incredible chapter, dusts him off, picks him up, sets him back on his feet, gives him direction and says to him, hey guy, failure doesn't have to be final. I'm here to tell you today there's good news. Failure is never final. Jesus Christ died on a cross was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death forevermore so that sin and our failures never have to be permanent. And so I want us to take a look at the life of Joshua and see what he did in order to rise from the level of defeat and enjoy a life of victory. Let's take a look at it. First of all, how did Joshua move from failure to victory? First of all, he turned to the Lord. He turned to the Lord. Now, this is critical, and we've talked about this a couple of times before, that I think sometimes when we fail, we have a tendency to turn our back on God and to move away from God rather than turn toward God. And that is exactly what he did here. He turned toward God. And when he turned toward God, let's take a look and notice what he experienced. Notice in verse 1, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all of the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, I have given into your hands the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai as its king as you did to Jericho and its kings. Its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Notice when Joshua turned to the Lord, the first thing that he received from the Lord was a word of encouragement. I find that fascinating. He received a word of encouragement. Why a word of encouragement? I think some of us would have a hard time with this because of the sin of one man, Israel failed, and, 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 and it was catastrophic. And yet when Joshua turns to the Lord, in spite of the sin and the failure, he receives a word of encouragement from God. And we have a hard time with this because most of us picture God as some God who's sitting on a throne with a big stick in his hand, and as soon as we fail, he bops us on the head. And he keeps bopping us on the head, reminding us of our sin and our failure. But that is not the picture that Scripture depicts of God. That is not the picture that is depicted here on behalf of Joshua and his people. Notice it says here, God says to Joshua, there's a command, don't fear. Stop being afraid of the enemy. That's an encouraging word to us. There's no reason why we should, on this planet, in this life, ever be fearful of failure, much less ever be fearful of our foe, our enemy, our adversary, the devil. 
We should not be afraid of him. I think we ought to respect our enemy. We should never be afraid of him because we operate from victory, not from failure, not from defeat. Because of our faith in Christ, he's already a defeated foe. So we should never picture, never see, never attack the enemy from a position of fear. Don't be afraid of the evil one. Don't be afraid of his demonic forces. Don't be afraid of the world that he controls. Satan loves for us to operate out of fear. And yet we should never operate out of fear. We should always operate from the position of confidence and conviction and courage. And that's what he's telling Joshua. Don't be afraid of the enemy, man. I know he's defeated you, but don't be afraid of him. He also says, don't faint. Don't get discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't drop your chin. Don't get discouraged. I think one of the main things that discourages most people today is when they have a, a, a defeat in their life, when they fall flat on their face, they made an attempt, that defeat becomes so, they become so despondent that they simply disappear. They just fall by the wayside. We have thousands of members here who I'm convinced placed their faith and trust in Christ, had good intentions of living a holy life, and in their attempt, they failed. They got up, they tried it again, they failed. They got up, they tried it again, and they failed. And as a result of numerous failures, they say, you know, what's the use? I can't live in victory. There's no way that I can ever win. And they quit. They throw in the towel and they walk away. Sheer discouragement. I can't tell you how the enemy loves to use discouragement and despair to prevent us from walking and enjoying the victory that it's already ours through Christ. So he's telling Joshua, don't get discouraged. Don't be despondent. Don't be faint of heart. But he also says, don't forget. Don't forget that I am the Lord, that I am on the throne, and that I am going to give you the victory. You're going to operate out of victory, not defeat. And I want you to dust yourself off, pick yourself up, and I want you to charge the enemy because I'm about to give you victory. Don't forget, man, I'm still the Lord. I'm still sovereign. I am still God. And I think the enemy would love to rob us of our belief and our faith in God, especially right after a huge defeat. You've tried something and failed. The enemy has had a heyday in your life. Or maybe it's something that you've tried numerous times to overcome and you can't overcome it, and all of a sudden, because the enemy seems more overpowering and more powerful than we are, we all of a sudden not only get despondent, but we forget who God is and we forget what Christ has done. Never forget. Hear the encouragement of the Lord here. Don't be fearful. Don't let faint get to you. Don't be discouraged. And he says, I am still God and I'm still on the throne. It's a word of encouragement. But there also is a word of enlightenment in this text in which he says to Joshua, he said, I'm going to give you a strategy by which you can overcome, by which you can defeat the enemy. He enlightens him. He gives him wisdom. He gives him insight. He gives him a strategy. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to set some troops behind AI, and I want you to walk out there, and I want you to draw them out, and you are going to use the strategy that I'm going to give you. I'm going to tell you exactly how you're going to be able to overcome and defeat the enemy, and if you follow my instruction to the letter, you will be victorious. I think one of the reasons why many of us are defeated is we're not going to the right place to find the strategy that's necessary needed to overcome the enemy. The best place to go is to the Lord. And when we go to the Lord, he enlightens us. He said, if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask and he'll give you what? Wisdom. And so as God gives us wisdom, as we go to his word and his spirit gives us enlightenment as to how we can implement the strategy to bring down the enemy and we follow that to the letter, guess what the outcome's going to be? Victory. And so he enlightens Joshua. 
And it's here that we learn that he turned to the Lord. You will never be able to overcome failure if you don't turn to the Lord. I know you failed miserably. I know you are disappointed. I know you think that, that God, God's love for you has changed and his presence has changed and his power is ineffective. Just, just wipe all of that out of your, of your mind. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. All we have to do is turn to God, and when we do, as they did, in repentance, there's reconciliation, and through reconciliation, he restores and renews our hearts and our spirits, and he comes to us with words of encouragement and words of enlightenment, and if we'll simply implement the strategy that he gives us, that he gives us, then we will be victorious. So when you've experienced failure, and you will, don't hide your face, don't run, don't be despondent, don't get so discouraged, but turn to the Lord. That's what Joshua did. Secondly, he not only turned to the Lord, but he teamed up with the right warriors. He teamed up with the right people. To take a look at what happens in verse 3, and so Joshua and all the fighting men arose up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. He didn't choose wimps. He didn't choose wussies. He chose warriors. How about that for three, three W's? No wimps, no wussies, only warriors. And the warriors that he was to choose were combat-ready men. These are seasoned veterans who had been to war numerous times with Joshua. And these combat-ready men had the weaponry, they had the skill, they had the knowledge, they had the, the strength, the physical strength and the stamina to go into battle. Choose for yourself these fighting men, men who are combat-ready. He said not only choose combat-ready men, but choose courageous men, choose mighty men, choose powerful men. Choose men that can stand up to the pressures and to, to, the, to, the, to the enemy as they come. He says, but also choose men who have strong character, men of valor. I mean, we have today men that represent our soldiers at the United States of America who have valor, who give life and limb for our country, don't we? And we say that they are men of valor. Why? Because they are men that understand the cost and women, they understand the cost of what it means to give their all for the cause. That's what a man of valor is. It is a man who's not only seasoned, but it's a man who's willing to sacrifice life and limb for the cause. It's not a man who's going to run at the first sign of pressure. I mean, if you think about it earlier on when they faced AI and, and there was a, 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 they smelled defeat, what did they do? They turned and they ran for their lives. They put their tail between their legs and they ducked for the exit. These were mighty men of, of valor who were running for their lives. That's not the men that Joshua is to take to war. He's supposed to take men who will stand in spite of what may look like a defeat and in spite of what the enemy may look like and in spite of what it may look like they have. They are men who are going to stand and give life and limb for the cause. I'm convinced that one of the main reasons why there are many people defeated today is because they're hanging out with the wrong people. I don't care if they're in the church or not. Sometimes the church people are not the right people to hang out with. Seriously. I mean, we need 
men who are mighty men of valor, people who are willing to give their all for the cause of Christ. And if you will surround yourself in a life group and in a community group and, and friends who understand the cost and the sacrifice that's necessary, who will stand in the heat of the battle, who will not compromise, who will not negotiate, who will not run, who will stand with you. And, and, and I'm, you know, I think there's a lot of people today, they, they get kind of connected with the wrong people. And as a result of that, the, the people they're around, they're, they're new believers. They only hang around new believers. And as a result of only being around new believers, they're not around veteran warriors, seasoned people. And that's one of the main benefits, I think, of combining the two services. And some are younger in here as well. If you're young in the faith, surround yourself with seasoned warriors who understand the spiritual weaponry that's available and how it's used, and to understand then that in the heat of the battle, you can be a spiritual war and take a stand for God and never compromise. Choose your friends wisely. Be careful who you snuggle up with and who you walk alongside with and who you befriend because they could be your demise. My mother used to say, and it used to really bother me when I was young, she used to say the word, this phrase used to really bother me. She'd say, words, unseen, birds of a feather flock together. Did you ever use that with your children? Shame on you. I hated that phrase, but it's true. You hang around with the wrong birds, you're going to wind up getting shot. It's important who you choose to be in company with and in fellowship with who you associate with, and who you befriend. Look for seasoned veteran warriors who are skilled in the weaponry of spiritual warfare and understand the spiritual battle that we're in and, and walk with them. Secondly, not only did he team up with warriors, but he then, thirdly, he transferred his faith. After he turned to the Lord and he teamed up with warriors, he transferred his faith. Notice in verse 4, he says, And he commanded them. Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. Skip down to verse 8. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. Joshua reveals the strategy here. He communicates the strategy of the Lord. He says, guys, what we're going to do is, after he got a word from the Lord, he said, well, I'm going to take a couple of you guys. You're going to go around and you're going to hide over there behind Ai. And we're going to come up in front of Ai like we did before when we were defeated. And I believe the, the, the thing was pretty much the same when they went around Jericho. There were soldiers, there were priests, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and then there were more soldiers. And so they were going to advance toward Ai like they had done before. And uh, then they were going to draw out the troops as they were going to engage in battle. They were going to turn and they were going to run. They were going to set a trap. They were going to set an ambush. And then the other men would then leave Ai in pursuit of those who they thought were running for their lives. And then the ambush was going to come into the city and then take and seize the city without any fortification because there would be no warriors left to defend it. And they would set the city on fire. And then they would have the, the, the warriors of Ai, the soldiers of Ai, would be surrounded. That was the strategy. He communicated to them. Not only to communicate the strategy, he reveals the strategy, but he restricts now also the soldiers in that he makes sure that he tells them, I want you to make sure, notice it says in verse 8, you shall do according to the word of the Lord. He said, be careful when you're in the battle. 
to do everything according to the word of the Lord. Why is that significant? I think it's significant because he's telling his warriors, he's telling his soldiers that when they're in the battle and they smell victory, not to get too anxious, not to get too, uh, too, uh, too cocky and, and forget exactly to do everything as the Lord commanded. Now think about it. I think sometimes when we operate from a position of victory and we start gaining some ground against the enemy, the tendency that we have is to compromise, negotiate, to relax, to settle in, and maybe not follow through in all of the orders of the Lord. And he knew that his soldiers in the heat of the battle, when they were going to be beginning to smell victory, that they might possibly get ahead of the Lord or behind the Lord or forget exactly what the Lord had told them to do. And he's reminding them when victory comes, don't forget to do everything according to the word of the Lord. Why? Because they learn at AI, God doesn't bless disobedience. And then notice he also recognizes who the Savior is. He says the word of the Lord. He tells them, hey, the Lord is the Lord of the battle, and this is the Lord's battle, it's not ours. And while we may be warriors, and we may be engaging the enemy, and we may fight the good fight of faith... The ultimate one who's responsible for our victory is the Lord. It's the Lord. Never take credit for what God does through his people. And here I think he's saying that that we must communicate our faith. There's something that happens when our faith is communicated. Joshua has faith in the strategy of God. And he communicates to the people. And I think when we communicate our faith, it does something not only to validate, but it does something to strengthen our own personal faith as well as the faith of those around us. I mean, think about it, dads and husbands and grandpas. If you as a father or a grandfather are constantly speaking words of affirmation and words of faith into your children and grandchildren, how is that going to pay off in dividends in the end? If you're constantly speaking words of, of, of discouragement and criticism and faithlessness and worldliness, if that's all they hear, that's going to pay off in the end. And what we communicate from our mouths reflects what's in our hearts. And if our hearts are filled with faith and we communicate that faith to those around us, it not only built up Joshua's faith to hear him speak it, but it built up the faith of the others that are around him. And there was this incredible faith that began to swell up in the army of God as they were about to charge the enemy. When you experience a huge failure, and it's catastrophic, I know it's catastrophic because it's your failure. You know, have you ever, ever, it's really, it's... (laughs) I won't say this anyway. It's, it's, uh, when you're ever around somebody and say, how do you feel today? The first liar never wins because somebody tells, you, know, you tell them how you feel and then somebody's going to trump you with something worse. You know what I'm saying? Then you got to match them and they're going to have this thing. So. <laughs> so, so be careful what you communicate. And, and it's here that we see in this text that he is communicating strength And he's building up not only his personal faith, but he's building up the faith of those that he's leading. Moms and dads and grandparents, life group leaders, deacons, people, what we speak has eternal consequences and pays off in huge dividends. Joshua understood that. So he not only turned to the Lord and teamed up with warriors, he not only transferred his faith, but we see fourthly that he took steps toward the enemy. 
He took steps forward. He moved toward the enemy. And this is critical because I think sometimes this is where some of us get apprehensive because we faced the enemy before, but we've all, we've walked away and we've been defeated. We, we have fallen flat on our face and maybe we've confronted him so many times and he's overpowered us so many times that it's hard for us to turn and to face the enemy. But that is necessary if you're going to overcome failure. Joshua faced the enemy, he moved toward the enemy. Notice Joshua was early in the morning, and he mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. Verse 17, uh, verse 11. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a, with a ravine between them and Ai. Joshua was given the strategy. He summoned the warriors. He gathered them together in all of their weapons of war, and he then stepped toward the enemy. He came out into the open. Now, this, this is huge. He's vulnerable. He's trusting God. He's stepping out onto the battlefield into the open. Now, this is the same place, the same location that not just a little while ago they were running for their lives. And he's trusting the Lord. He's stepping out into the open toward the enemy, and he secures the position that God told him to settle in. This is where God wants me to stay. And he settles there. And if you take a look at the text, he stood still, and he waited on God. He waited for the enemy to gather their troops and to come out. You'll never overcome the enemy until you step toward him in faith, Trusting the strategy and the word and the will of God and the power of God actively working in and through your faith in him. I know it's going to be hard. But you've got to do it. Because if you don't ever turn toward that which has constantly been defeating you, if you try to ignore it or tuck it away or, or put it in a drawer or compartmentalize it or, or try to put it somewhere where you don't have to deal with it, that, that puppy always comes to the surface and it always haunts you and it renders you constantly discouraged and keeps you living in defeat. you got to face it. You can't coexist with it. you got to move toward it. Not only did he take steps toward the enemy, but notice, fifthly, he trusted in the timing of God. This is really critical. That's keeping in step with the Spirit of the Lord as the Lord is leading him. He trusted in the timing of God. It says now in verse 15, And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. And then the Lord said to Joshua, down to verse 18, Stretch out your javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, and I will give it into your hands. And Joshua stretched out his javelin that was in his hand toward the city. This is an incredible timing here. He's standing now out in the open, and he's watching the troops navigate to the location where they were told to go from the Lord. And Joshua communicates to them, I want you to go over there. And so they go. And he's still out in the open. And he waits now for Ai to gather their troops, and they come out to engage in battle in the open field. As soon as they do that, notice that he then immediately begins to withdraw. He runs, pretending as if he was afraid that defeat was going to happen again, and they bite on the bait. They take it. This is critical. I mean, he's waiting at just the right time for Ai to come out, and at just the right time, I'm convinced he was led of the Lord, at just the right time, they ducktail and they run toward the wilderness, and the people of Ai go, hey, remember last time? We killed a bunch of their guys when they were running. This time we're going to do even more damage. 
How do you know that? All of the guys, the warriors that they had left to protect Ai, they all vacated the city and all of the warriors, all of the men left the city to pursue Israel, to annihilate them. And as soon as they did that, as you notice, they came into the city and they took it and they set it on fire. But notice, before that happened, Joshua, at just the right time, gives the signals for the ambush to attack Ai. He lifts up the javelin toward the city. That was the sign. Similar to Moses and lifting up his arms, it was, a, it was symbolic of the presence of God and the purpose and the plan of God and the provisions that God was going to give them. I mean, that, that, that was critical timing. How did Joshua know exactly when to do that? He didn't rely on his own perception. He didn't rely on his own sight. He didn't rely on his own understanding. He waited for God to tell him. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, this is the moment. And if you and I ever want to overcome the enemy, we have got to move at the command and at the timing of the Lord. You can never live in victory if you're ahead of God. You can never move in victory if you lag behind God. You have to keep in step with the spirit and the leadership of the Lord. And at just the right time, as you step forward and advance the enemy, you patiently wait on the Lord to communicate to you exactly when it is for you to exercise your faith. And that's what Joshua does. And so we see he trusted in God's timing. You know, there are people that have a hard time being patient and waiting on God. How do you know that? Because I'm just like you. Turn to your neighbor and said, you're just like the pastor. We're all impatient. Come on, Andy. I know you are. We're all impatient. We all want it today. We all want to grab the steering wheel. We all want to dictate when that time is to happen such and such when we want it. We know what God wants, but we want it now. And God says, not time now. There's a lot to learn, I think, in our patience. There's a lot for us to transform in our waiting on God. And Joshua understood he needed to trust the timetable of the Lord. And he waited for God to say, Joshua, raise the javelin. This is the moment. And at just, when, just the time God said it. I mean, think how, how strategic that was. Had he done it too soon? The enemy would have perceived something. They would have run back to Ai. Had it done it too late, they might have been overcome. But at just the right time, he raised the javelin, and they turn, and they confess. And, and that's when the victory happened. So stay on time with God. Notice number six. He terminated the enemy. He not only turned to the Lord, he not only teamed up with the warriors, he not only transferred his faith, he not only took steps forward, he not only trusted in the timing of God, but he terminated the enemy, he annihilated the enemy. We read in verse 24, when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all of Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. Verse 25, and all who fell that day... Both men and women were 12,000, all the people of Ai. He annihilated the enemy. It was a calculated annihilation and that they did precisely, exactly as the Lord told them to do. It was a complete annihilation in that they destroyed everyone in the city 
and it was consistent with the will and the word of God. God had told them to do that. Why? Because you cannot coexist with the enemy and be victorious. There's no compromise. There's no negotiation. You've got to annihilate the enemy's influence in your life. If you allow the enemy to have an inch, he'll take a mile. If you give him a mile, he'll take your life. If you give him your life, he'll take your marriage, he'll take your children, he'll take your family, he'll take your church. There's no negotiating with the enemy. There's no compromise. There's no even ground. There's no settlement. You've got to annihilate the enemy's influence in your life. You can't say, well, a a little bit of pornography is okay. You can't say a little bit of gossip is okay. A little bit of hatred or prejudice is okay. You can't say a little bit of alcohol is okay. You can't say a little bit of gambling is okay. You can't say a little of this and a little of that because a little becomes a lot. And eventually what happens, he gets a foothold in the door. And once he gets a foothold, the door's open. A stronghold is established and defeat becomes the end result. Every stinking time, God knew that if the people of God were to live in victory and not ever fail again, the city of Ai, that was a cocky city that thought that God was not the God that he was, needed to be annihilated because he knew that they couldn't coexist. I know it seems harsh, but it's a necessary reality in your life. Stop compromising and negotiating with the enemy and say a little of this and a little of that. You know, I can, I can cultivate this thought just a little bit. I can look over here for just a little while. I can feel this for just a little while. I can do this. Just No, you can't. And live in victory. You can't. Stop trying to live with the enemy and with the spirit at the same time. You can't serve both at the same time. Not only did he terminate the enemy, but notice lastly he triumphed. In God's blessing. There's an incredible reward here to Joshua and to the people of God. Notice in verse 27, skip all the way down to there. We see in the text, only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder according to the word the Lord that the commander, that, that, that he commanded Joshua. It's interesting here that the promises of God now become a reality. If you look at 8, First two verses of chapter 8, God had already promised Joshua that the spoils of the city would go to the people of God. Why is that? Because God always takes the first fruits. And then the people get after God receives. Joshua and the people of God gave God all that belonged to him from Jericho. They had received all of the bounty, all of the provisions that were, that were conquered through that battle. They gave everything in Jericho to God. Now it was time for God then to bless his people. And he says to them, everything in Ai is yours. He promised them that. Notice that the reward was very personal. He says, he says their, their plunder now becomes yours. It's a personal thing. It's theirs now. It belongs to them. It's their personal belonging. It's their personal reward. And God certainly is a rewarder of persons. And his rewards are always personal to us. They're individual and they're unique to each and every one of us. But not only is it personal, but notice it's also practical. And it's practical because, you see, they're going to need some of this that's in the city of Ai now. 
God has stopped feeding them with manna from heaven. And this is a very personal reward because now the cattle and the things that they're getting from Ai are going to help them nutritionally. They're going to help them physically. They're going to help them sustain their lives because there are more battles to come. And God is providing for their needs, and it's very, very much a practical type of reward, but we see that it also is pleasing to God. And the reason why it's pleasing to God, because you look at the text, they did everything according to the word of the Lord. God is pleased when God's people obey his word. And he was pleased at the response and the faith of the people of God. You cannot live in victory and live in defeat at the same time. But when we respond in faith, we turn and face the enemy with the presence, provision, the plan, and the power of God, there will be victory. There will be triumph. And in that triumph, there will be blessings. Because God is a rewarder to those who serve him and follow him. I know some of you say, well, I keep waiting for the rewards. When are they coming? When are they coming? When are they coming? In heaven. That's true. But how about today, bub? Sure be nice for some of those promised blessings in the future to become reality today, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it? I could sure use some right now. Because it seems like the manna that God was giving me before is kind of dried up. I need some provisions today. You ever felt like that? Ever wondered when the payoff's going to come? Let me ask you to consider something as you're thinking about when the payoff's going to come. Redefine what the payoff is. Maybe your definition of the payoff isn't God's definition. Could it be? That what I think are rewards are not really rewards at all? God has a different definition of rewards for those who are faithful. For in fact, I'm convinced if we would change our definition of reward, we would probably honestly have to admit, you know what? I'm wealthy today. And my God has been so generous to me. Has he been to you? Are you operating from failure or from victory today? Chances are you failed as recently as this morning. You don't have to live in failure. You don't have to live in defeat. You can live in victory. God says in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors. Doesn't it say that? We're more than conquerors. Why? Because of Jesus. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus this morning, it's our hope and our desire that you leave this place more than a conqueror because the commander of the Lord's army will come to you today and he will reveal to you your need for a Savior. And if you'll place your faith and trust in him and turn from your life of sin, you can leave. Free, victorious over sin and death. When Christ becomes your Savior. Is that a decision you need to make today? Maybe another time, another place, you've made that decision, but you've never publicly declared your intent. Our pastor will be here in a minute, Brother Gail, and 
I'll be down here. And if you'd like to make that decision public, will you come? Maybe, believer, you're not living in victory today. Something is defeating you and it's wearing you down. I know you've given it over to the Lord a thousand times. But maybe today's the day you need to do it God's way. And take some of the principles that we've talked about here today and allow the Spirit of God to say, you know what, you've missed this one or you've missed that one. You've not done that. And make a recommitment to lay it at His feet today. And be determined through the renewing power of the Spirit of God. He can lift you up, dust you off, set you on a path of victory today. Because I'm convinced that He wants us to live from victory to victory. Is that a reality in your life? If not, why not? It's available. It's been provided. And it's out. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Each Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 10 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship service and a casual and relaxed setting. Our second worship service begins at 11 a.m. and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for adults and children of all ages are offered at 9.45 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com.